The Weezer Bracket is brought to you by Muncher. Wow. What, what's the new character? So, so here's the thing with Muncher. The, mm-hmm. the internet has run away with Muncher because everyone's favorite. Right. I almost didn't want to do this because I felt like Muncher's just for everyone now. Should we, should we get a better sponsor? Well, he's paying us money, so where are we going to find that? Where are we, where are we going to find that right now? <laughs> yeah, that check's been cashed. <laughs> we took it down right like through the like, payday loans. I've seen like Heidecker and Turkey did run with the Muncher stuff. I've seen everyone run with the Muncher stuff. But you know what? It's like me on these. You guys, you got to get your, uh, <laughs> well, you got to get your sponsor. I get it because it's like Muncher comes out and it's like, I thought this was going to be the horror version of Ghostbusters, which nobody wanted. That's not that movie. That's not how that movie was ever suggested. Yes, it was. Like all those that first no, promo stuff. It. That it was I that first that, teaser. That first teaser made so it that, look like it was an out and out horror movie. I mean, like I think like they're trying to. I think I don't know what. Who gives a shit what, what is Ghostbusters? There's never been a clear idea what Ghostbusters actually is. There's the first movie, which is pretty good. No, though the first hour. Of the first movie is pretty good. I, I know you. I like the ending. The ending of Ghostbusters is good. I disagree with you there. But so, it, but it's not. It falls into the trap of all the '80s comedy movies, where it's like, "Wow, we are having so much fun. This is really funny." Oh shit, we have to resolve the plot now. Okay, let's not tell anything. No, no, no. It's like, it, specifically, it's like, oh, you can have your fun and games. Oh, we have to become an actual movie with actual resolution and conflict. You know, it's like, and that's the right. problem with it. You know, yeah, yeah. But I, I still think that movie kind of works. Like, actually, some of the For back the most half part, of yeah. that movie, the back half has some of my favorite jokes. I think, like. Honestly, the back half has a Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, which is a very iconic imagery. I had to stuff Marshmallow Man as a child. Yes, I, I'm very... Yeah. There's nothing about the sequel that's iconic. Vigo? No, Vigo's a little iconic, but even then, it's like, can you tell me what the plot is of the second movie? Um, all, the, all the ectoplasm is going into a ectoplasm. painting... The evil power is going into a painting, and it's kind of like it's, Dorian Gray, it's speci- but not. No, no, no. It's specifically the negative energy of the of the city is causing all this like ectoplasm to build up. Right, right, right. Because New end, York in the eighties whole... is a very good source of that. Kind of. It, we're also at the start of that Giuliani period where it's like transforming uh, New York into like a fucking playground. <laughs> Ima- imagine, imagine a time when you could parody Giuliani. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they have to cause the city to be like, like loving, which causes the Statue of Liberty to fight against. It's a ridiculous fucking movie. It's a bad movie. Anyhow. Yeah, it's not ridiculous well, enough. No, that's yeah, that's a big problem. So anyway, also, Muncher it, is a repackaging of Slimer. Only you can't Slimer. You know he munched, but today's audiences are not sophisticated enough to understand that so he has to be called muncher now because we have to dumb everything down and when we do a remake or a reboot or whatever the fuck this thing is we have to make it also slime was not a character in that first movie he only became a character because of the real ghostbusters the cartoon and it felt like in the sequel they had to turn slimer into the character from the cartoon and now they're just trying to create a character. It's, it's really overcomplicated. Well, it's all just nostalgia, and we can't have anything that isn't nostalgia-driven. And I say this uh, but, but hatefully on someone like... who's doing a Weezer podcast. <laughs> yes. 
That's true. But I feel like this whole podcast is all been about tearing down on nostalgia and trying to figure out what went wrong. Oh, shit. Let's just go forward. I mean, that, that's been my that's been my <laughs> approach. Ready to uh, ready to start this shit? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. And we are back after a long oh. and planned hi- hiatus. Uh, when is it? I don't even remember. Did the Black Album come back out in May? Is that when it finally came out last year? I think the, you, la- the Black Album's what? I think you're speaking on to how memorable the Black Album was. <laughs> you know what? I think I think we're even. I think we're even. I mean, wrong. I think the Black Album came out pre-pandemic. But we did a couple of episodes for the singles they released for Van Weezer. Is that does that sound right? Yeah, yeah. I remember we did the Everybody Needs a Hero, which he was like retrofitting right. to be a first responders, and I think we doubled down on our second responders stance. And I, you know what, I'm standing by that. Yeah, the second so we, responders are the ones who so really here need we are. Here we, so here we are covering an album that's not Van Weezer because it's not come out yet. <laughs> we we didn't even do an episode for the Bill and Ted song they released, which I think is going to be a, re- a song on the uh, Van Weezer album. Well, it can wait till then. Yeah. Do you see the Bill and Ted movie? I because I absolutely did not. I saw it. It's actually pretty enjoyable. Oh, that's good to hear. It was it was more enjoyable than most movies I've seen released in the pandemic. Oh well, okay, that's. I, I'm I'm trying to think of a metaphor I can say now, but everything just seems too mean, so I'm not, <laughs> not going. Um, I, I, I was a I was a real big fan of the, the Bill and Ted movie the weekend it was released, and then I forgot it existed. Again. Right there, you go, there you go. But that ninety minutes that existed in my head, I enjoyed. Well, okay, well there you go. There's our in-depth review of the Bill and Ted based the music. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, no, so if you... from uh, Barry was good in that movie. That's all. That's the only thing I'll add. Yeah. So, if you go to like any sort of Weezer video on YouTube right now, you still are prompted to buy tickets for the uh, Mega Hell Tour. Yeah, that's what it is uh, at Dodger Stadium. And you know what? It's just like the little bit of the gambler in me is like, oh, why not? Why don't we t- why don't we roll the dice? Why don't we see if this is happening in June? Is that when it's, it's still scheduled for June? Something, like, yeah, yeah, because it's just pulling from old data that nobody updated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think because that's I think the original release was the original date was last June, and they just, they pushed it a full year. Yeah, it's the funny like thing it. about that that the funny thing about that tour is I remember like one of those dates is going against uh, Taylor Swift when Taylor Swift was opening up the uh, what's the name of the uh, Rams Arena uh, Arena? Uh, SoFi Stadium. SoFi Stadium. Because Taylor Swift was supposed to open that up with, I think, was it one night or two nights? But she was no, there, it was she like play a couple concerts. I'm. Not, it might have been like four nights or something like that. I remember they were like pushing it. That pushing sounds it about out. right. But yeah, but those were. Those, I think those were also the only uh, concert dates that she was going to do this year, and they were going to be those just opening up that uh, arena stadium. And she was going to do it as a personal favor to Jared Goff, and now that's <laughs> now he's well, really that's lost awesome. out. That, that, 
<laughs> they really fucked that up. <laughs> but I know that 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 Weezer, it was Weezer, Green Day, and uh, Fall Out Boy. Right. They, I think those shows were going against that actually. You know, I'm not sure that too many people are going to be really torn on which one to go to. You know. I don't know. I'd go to both those shows. Okay, you would, but I think most people are either in one camp or the other. I don't think like there is a. Do you think there was there'd be a third of the audience who was just like, yeah, I don't know, could be watching the boy. I think that Venn diagram. I I I think that Venn diagram overlaps more than you are uh, giving it credit for. There's overlap, and then there's paying a hundred bucks. I'm not saying I'm not saying it would be one perfect circle, but I'm saying they would be a little more smushed in than you would than you're giving it credit for. All right, well, let's take it up the notch. Like you said, okay, so it's the Hella Mega Tour, the Taylor Swift concert, and a Perfect Circle concert. Like, is that is everybody (laughs) torn up? If you throw that, if you throw that element in. That's a perfect circle. N- nobody knows what to do then. Like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, fuck. This just ruined my fucking weekend. Don't don't the don't the people in the bands want to see each other? Like they they overlap. <laughs> just mess. You know, Taylor Taylor Weezer, Green Day, and uh, Fall Out Boy just get, they, they they just quit so they can go see a perfect circle that night. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> Show's been canceled. We're all going to the Troubadour. Also, did I see a headline that, uh, what, what's his name? James Maynard Keenan? Is that, that's his name, right? Yes. Did I, did I fuck that name up? No, that, that's I think, a... I saw, I, I think I saw like a headline that he's had COVID twice already. Man. Well, James, 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 James Maynard Keenan? Yeah. James, well, Maynard, right, not right? Maynard, but yeah. Uh, well, Maynard? Maynard, yeah. Well, James, we're... I was, I was never a Tool fan. No. God, no. Tool, I don't think, would have been as popular if they didn't have a uh, shirt that looked, you know, like a dick that you could wear. <laughs> like, I remember, I remember my buddy trying to introduce me to Tool. And he's like, no, you, yeah. it's, it's all math, man. You got you to gotta take a look at Check it out. All these, all these syllables are in the Fibonacci sequence. And he's like, like counting on his fingers and it's just like uh okay that's, you think, that's not making you think the song those, better let me ask you a question do you think those kids would have been as big as fans of tool if every shirt wasn't black like what if they said if they only made shirts that were like like light blue <laughs> yeah. oh my god exactly like turquoise when they were like, oh, I, no, I, I'm not a fan of this band, actually. No, absolutely not. <laughs> They're not selling one T-shirt. <laughs> oh, my God. We should make those. We should make tool shirts that are like turquoise. Okay, well, I think there's a, a lot of laws in place that are going to stop us from doing that. And I think tool... Look, I don't know I this, that, but I listen, think they are going to be one of the more litigious bands you can go after. That's fine, but that's fine. This, this is this is what Etsy is built on. <laughs> I don't think you're going to find a lot of Tool merchandise on Etsy, um, but I'm going to look right now to confirm. <laughs> also, isn't he like huge in the, his winery? He's like big in the wine now, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh God, yeah. All right. I think I listened to an, an episode with him on uh, fucking Marin. I don't know. There's all these like 
don't know, man. Oh, tool band. This okay, guy, here we go. Here we go. This dude is in the fucking wine. Now, who's he? He's fucking Francis Ford Coppola? Uh, there's a lot of black tie-dye, you know, like the black and orange tie-dye. A lot of people doing okay. that to their tool shirts. A lot of the old, gotcha. like the rinse that looks like a dick. Um, there's actually not that much <laughs> stuff on here. Oh, there, here's a here's an adjustable and machine washable uh, perfect circle face mask for you. I think you can pull it off of the perfect perfect circle more than you can pull it off the tool. Anyhow, okay, human. <laughs> Oh, yeah, let's, uh, back to Weezer on our Weezer podcast. Can we talk about the build-up to this a little bit? Because, like, there's not much build-up to it. but it kind well, of, it Yeah, kind of so, so just introduce it uh, in general. Tell us what the album is, Andrew. So, so the album is recorded without a, what's it called, a click tape? I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm not the most. Right, he, he recorded without a click tape? Oh, I don't know this. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Anyhow... Basically, no electric guitars. It's mostly piano based. C- came out of nowhere. Um, Are you saying click literally. track? Is that what you mean? Click track. I'm sorry. Click track. I'm sorry. I, I, I knew I was going to fucking sound like an idiot. There. I thought you were talking. I thought you were saying is recorded on like reel to reel or something like that. No, I know click track is what I was trying to think of. I, I knew. I was no, like no, 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 no. The idea was that it's recorded live without click tracks. Correct, yes. So that's the thing. No electric guitars, mostly piano-based. Do you think orchestral. Pat was really upset that he couldn't play electric guitar on this one? <laughs> Did you, you listen to that Rick Rubin interview. We'll get to that, but there, there, there's some interesting stuff there, actually. Yeah. It was kind of announced out of nowhere, because we they'd been talking about Van Weezer. But it's the same thing with the last time with the Black Album. Like, he had built up the Black Album, and the, the White Album came out out of nowhere, right, before the Black Album. no. Uh, Pacific Daydream came before. Right. Black well, album. yeah, but, but both the White Album, you know, they say we're working on yeah. something new. And they're always, they're, the they're, real they, one that came out of nowhere was Teal. Well, that, that's not an album. <laughs> that's just a fucking, that's a piece of promotion. I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 no, but Pacific Daydream, I think, came out kind of nowhere when you were expecting the Black Album. Yeah. we They've been building up that Van Weezer, and this one happened. And I think, I don't know about you, but I guess my reading of it without, without having read anything yet was, oh, something happened because of COVID and the pandemic, and they he kind of switched gears and made this album during the time. That's what it seemed like, yes. That, that was very much what it seemed like. However, he's actually done a lot of press for this. He's done a couple of really good interviews, in a way. Yeah, which has it been like this wonderful is a- and surprising at the same time. Yeah, yeah. He's actually been pretty good interviews and well-spoken interviews, and not like like where he's sheepish and tries to hide his actual like method. Well, he he never hides his method. His method just seems so fucking absurd that you feel like this can't you feel be like it's a bit. <laughs> you feel like you very much feel like it's a bit sometimes, but we've come to realize it's not a bit. Look, if anybody knows works. bits, it's us, and it ain't a bit. All right. Yeah, it's not a bit. What we kind of came to realize is uh, he's been working on this for a while. Mm-hmm. Who's, what's the name of the producer on this album? Jake Sinclair. Jake Sinclair. So I guess Jake Sinclair actually came to him no, with this concert album, right? Sinclair. Jake Sinclair. Uh, yeah, you're saying Jason Clare. It's no, it's Jake Sinclair. No, I'm saying Jake. <laughs> I'm saying Jake Sinclair. I'm 100 saying Jake Sinclair, Nick. I'm not saying Jason Clair. I'm saying Jake Sinclair. Okay. He he kind of came with him to his, this concert for his album. 
In fact, he gave him a copy copy of Nelson Does Newman, Harry Nelson doing a Randy Newman song, which uh, Rivers claims he had never heard of. I which doesn't surprise me. He doesn't. Uh, I knew. I, I'm. I, I, I like Harry Nelson. And I like Randy Newman. So I was aware of that. Um, I much prefer just Harry Nelson doing Harry Nelson songs than Randy Newman doing Randy Newman songs. But you know, isn't that always the way? <laughs> I probably much, much prefer Harry Nelson just doing Harry Nelson songs. I enjoy a Randy Newman song every once in a while, but I'm never, I never can sit down and just listen to an entire Randy Newman album. Oh my God, I can imagine. No, I'm sorry. I mean, there, there are some, but there are some like Harry Nelson albums that are legit favorites of mine, like Nelson Nelson and Sonish Nelson. But anyhow, he, he he listened to it and it kind of, I think it came together. Mm-hmm. They recorded it. It sounds around like 2017, I think, 2018, maybe. It's been going on for a while. That's what we've come to learn. Yeah. This is kind of when one of those back burner projects. Oh, okay. I'll throw a little bit of effort. I'll throw this song on it. Though I will say this album sounds like a like an entire piece. Yes, or so absolutely. A lot of the other stuff, but it sounds like what happened is it got put on the back burner because of the Hell Mega Tour. It got it got put on the back burner just because this is like a more abstract project. It's not. Designed to be as commercially well, viable as the other Weezer albums, uh, you that, know. That's true, but well, yeah. But I, it also sounds like the idea of the Hello Megacore is a more rock, such a rock uh, oriented thing that he felt like he needed to come out with recently more shredding and electric and more the common Weezer thing. Right. So I think that this gets put in the vault, but because of the pandemic, he ends up finishing it and it comes out. Now, the thing about this is like that the only song actually written during the pandemic and com- completed was All My Favorite Songs. Yeah, so we'll get that to like breaking them all down in a minute here. Well, but it's, it's good to start off All My Favorite, favorite Songs, which is the first lead off single and the first song on the album. Right, right. So what we have is a Weezer album that doesn't sound like a Weezer album in the slightest. And it's kind of odd for a band to have such a departure in there. 26th year i want to say you know well, 94 is officially 94 is when the blue album comes out so yes i mean obviously they had been a band pre-94 but like usually at this point in a band's discography it is cash in after cash in you know just what can we whip out in two weeks that people will buy we need product on the shelves because you know, I got to pay for a boarding school. I got to pay for this. All right, let's just generate something. Let's get some cash. But that's not what this I, is. Kind of. You know, the weird thing about Weezer, though, is like, I think there was a recent piece about about how basically the only two alternative bands that are really from that 90s period that are still really going are Weezer and the Foo Fighters. I guess. I don't know many people but following think, the Foo Fighters as such. but The Foo Fighters still has... Grohl still, still yeah, they still, remains. Yeah. Grohl still remains relevant. Grohl does. The fact that he's almost like, well, I feel like Grohl's almost taking on this this like kind of thing of being the father of rock and roll now, the person who's trying to keep rock and roll alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it, it is a thing. Yeah, I see. Yeah, I see Grohl around, but it's like, can most people name another Foo Fighter? You know? Oh, that's a good question. No. Could a could a normal normal person name an an actual other member of Weezer if they can even name Rivers Cuomo though? No, but I feel they could pick them out of a lineup. Like if you show, if you showed a bunch of rock stars and you go, which one of these guys is in Weezer? Okay, I can I can figure it out. That's 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 a little different though, Nick. <laughs> that's like 
who are these schlubby guys? Can you pick them out? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Patrick Wilson? Yeah, he's definitely a weaver. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people know Patrick Wilson from his Leno appearance. Let's let's uh, not get it twisted. <laughs> Anyhow, I guess we should start talking about the songs now, though, right? Yeah, so just let me uh, – I'll just give it a little bit. So it is uh, orchestral. It's got a lot of strings. It was recorded – at Abbey Road with a 38-piece orchestra, which is just insane to think about. And it's produced by Jake Sinclair, who did a lot of The Greatest Showman. He did Uma Thurman by Fall Out Boy. He's done a lot of Fall Out Boy, Panic at the Disco. Yeah, but most importantly, he produced The he did, White he, Album. He did that Panic at the Disco song that was a, kind of a bigger hit recently, High Hopes. Yeah, yeah. So he's been in that, and I'm sure, you know, the lead up to the Hella Mega Tour has them hanging out and all that, you know, pushing to finish this album. Yeah. By the way, I found out Jake Sinclair is married to Kate McKinchy. Oh, really? Yeah, I had no clue about that. I had no clue about that either. I didn't know it because until I saw her tweet, "Hey, check out this uh, this Weezer album my husband produced." Wow. Okay. So that was kind of a flip for me. I had no clue. So it's a 30-minute runtime album, and Weezer's always put out short albums. This is no exception. Yeah. So look, and, I just go to... And tracks a lot of times, too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God, yeah. So, yeah, it's got 12 tracks on it. Yeah. And it's for 30... No, it's only 10. 10. 12. No, this has 12. No, there's not. On this album? Oh, well, you're right. You're right. There are only 12. But 30... You're right. The 30 minutes really made me think it would be 10. I, it really... Because some of them are so short, then, I forgot. That, yeah. Yeah. You, Usual division would play out, but not this Make time. Make me think it was 10. So, look, I'm just going to say it. I think this is a terrible album. Oh, do you? For people in the Bad Weezer song business, which we are, because I think it's very good. <laughs> I think it's very good, too. I, I really like this album. <laughs> I've had a lot of... You know, I, here's the thing that is, is interesting. I kind of purposely... But I also, it's, like, it's just more interesting if I don't know your opinion until we're uh, like actually talking about it on the air. So I was not sure of your actual opinion of everything. Yeah, I'm absolutely stunned. Uh, you know, like I said, a lot of bands do not take musical departures in their 26th, 27th year. <laughs> and rarely are they successful usually when a band starts mentioning beatles we want to do what they did all that sort of stuff it's like you're not the beatles bud you know you don't have three of the greatest songwriters of all time on your roster you don't have you know a producer to the level of george rr R. martin <laughs> hell man most of the time you don't even have ringo yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and it's just like, and it's just like what the Beatles did. You know, they're putting out an album like every six months at one point. Yeah, and it's just like well, it's also, it's not, you're also not you're also not at the point where there's also every band exists in a world where the Beatles already exist. So you're already taking that influence from somewhere while they're just kind of a lot of that stuff just feels like out of nowhere. Totally. Yeah. So like, I was a little leery when. This project came about, but uh, I'm actually really shocked. They, particularly Rivers and particularly Jake Sinclair, just absolutely nailed it. I'm shocked. I'm surprised and really just, happy with it. I really like it. I think the thing that I like the most about it is it feels like one complete thing. Yes. It feels like an actual, from front to back, album. It, and at times it feels like a medley in the way that all the songs bleed into each other and kind of build off each other. Well, it feels, it feels so much like a stage play. It feels like a musical. Yeah. One of the things that 
also like about it is like people give shit to Rivers about his lyrics, which you can still give about on this album. In fact, there are a lot of duds on this album, lyric-wise. But one of the things I actually like about it is he does seem to be trying to write about a lot of his day-to-day life. Sometimes it's a little groan-worthy. Right, but this but time, you know, it this doesn't feel like he's pulling from his Google spreadsheet. This no, feels like no. he's sitting down and writing a song with an intent, with an idea, with a purpose, which, you know, hasn't been done in a while. Well, even like, like a song like Playing My Piano, where it sounds a little basic, the lyrics sound a little basic, but I think yeah. it's like the euphoria of him just kind of being in the room. It's literally him doing what he's doing, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, the, the it's him joy of creating, like, yeah. Yeah, it's just him just kind of on the piano. It's literally him kind of doing, just kind of saying literally what he's feeling at that moment. Yeah. So let's get into these tracks and we'll talk about them and then we'll I'll go home. Yeah. Uh, so it starts off with <laughs> uh, the single All My Favorite Songs, which is the you know, only project that was written somewhat recently on this album. It was the absolute last one, but you would never know it. It feels like the keystone that brings us all together. It very, it very much does. Yeah, it, it really does. I'll be honest. When they announced that the song was going to be called All My Favorite Songs, it was going to be the lead off single. I got real nervous. Yeah, because Heart Song. We have Heart Song 100% because of Heart Song. I thought we were going to get Heart Song Part 2. I was like, I can't take this right now. (laughs) (laughs) So it's really good, though. Yeah, yeah. So what's really interesting is that, so this is the only song on the album that has co-writers. The only one. And that has never happened with any other Weezer album. We got... Co-writer Ilse Juber, Jubber, I don't know how you say it, who's did Powerful for Major Lazer, Nothing Breaks Like a Heart for Mark Ronson, Licky Lee's entire So Sad, So Sexy album, Rita Orta, Let You Love Me with Easy Fun. Uh, she's the daughter of the guitarist from Winks. And here's here's one you'll really enjoy. She has songwriting credits with Terrence Howard and Taryn Manning, but has no hustle and flow involvement that I could find. <laughs> she has she has songwriting credits years and years later from Hustle and Flow with both Terrence Howard and Taryn Manning. Absolutely amazing. One of the most diverse songwriting credits that I've I've seen. It's Martin Garrix, David Guetta, all the way to Michael Bublé, Magic Jordan, Pitbull, J Lo, Lincoln Park, Bleachers, Adam Lambert, Harry Styles, and she even wrote on. Miley Cyrus's Catitude, which says, you know what, you can't win them all. <laughs> Ilse, I believe, was the one who just had the chorus, and somebody brought it to Rivers, and that's what latched on, and that's what where the song was born out on. Oh, yeah. If you think that there's a little bit of a country hint to this song, it's because of Ashley Gorley, who's written a lot of country with Carrie Underwood. Oh, that's right. Jason Alden, Trace Adkins, Luke Bryan, Brad Paisley, Leanne Woman, Kenny Chesney, Tim McGraw, Florida Georgia Line, Rascal Flats, and the legend himself, Darius Rutger. Hootie. Uh, <laughs> Ashley Gorley has 50 number one charting singles, six ASCAP Country Songwriter of the Year awards, and three Billboard Country Songwriter of the Year awards. That is some major pedigree. I think this is the one I remember. Is this the one I remember him talking about Rick Rubin? Like he kind of, someone gave him a whole package of just kind of like samples and kind of songs and whatnot, and he heard that, and that was kind of the foundation of it. Yeah. Am I correct about? Yeah. 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 And so Ilse wrote the uh, "All my favorite songs make me sad, all my favorite people make me mad." Some iteration of that. Uh, who knows? And who knows if we'll ever know? 
And Did she uh, write that lyric? Be- yeah. Because that lyric sounds like such a fucking Rivers Cuomo lyric. That, see, that's the funniest thing. It's like that sounds like such a fucking Rivers Cuomo lyric, I, it, especially it, like late period Rivers Cuomo. I I I think that's any period Rivers Cuomo. Yeah, I, I I would believe that he wrote it yesterday. I would believe he wrote it twenty years ago, thirty years ago, whenever. I think it sums up a lot of what Rivers has always kind of said. Yeah. And then to me, it's really interesting because it takes me, it really reminds me of a period that I think a lot of young men go through. If you have an artistic bent to you where you see things like movies, stories and all that, and you come upon this false dichotomy that happy endings are no good, you know, that a happy ending is bullshit, it's fake. You know, the real Ikaru ending, you know, where the man just dies of stomach cancer and people remember him, but he's quickly forgotten, that sort of thing. It's just like, that's an ending. I don't, it, you know, it's like, the, it's, it's like kind of that, also that little cliched thing where young guys want dark and gritty. So we get like a dark and gritty Batman sometimes <laughs> like that. Absolutely. Yeah. It has, this song has a really... I think that's what's real. Right. Yeah, sorry. This song has a really great video to it. Yeah, it does. But what's interesting is I think that the video, I think all the budget and everything like that, all the scenes were approved, and then they changed the song. I think it was originally meant for screens. For which one? Screens. Oh, screens. Oh, that would make kind of sense. It makes so much more sense. And it, it, it kind of makes sense, but everything everything with that video is done so low budget, actually, just through your actual uh, computer, like even like a 90s computer. A screens is still clearly about your phone. Okay, like they're going through a like version of MySpace, but there's a lot of like the phone gags where they hold the phone up and then there's the screen is real in real life and all that sort of stuff. I really think that it was meant for screens. And then, you know, they're like, hey, we're changing the single. Rivers wrote this song. It's one of his catchiest hooks. It's fun. It's all this. We're doing this now. And it's like, I, okay, well, if we just do the video and they sing this song, said, fine. Okay, cool. Let's get it done. You know, it's kind of amazing how I think that's happened a couple of times with Weezer when he, I think the album's basically complete. And then he's like, I got to go right in and try go. I got to go in and try to write a hit single. Like, I think that happened with Beverly. I think like, obviously that happened with Beverly Hills, Make Believe. I even think with like uh, the Red Album and Pork and Beans that kind of happened. I think those are all kind of late additions to the album. But I think he gets like insecure. I think he gets in his head and he gets insecure and says, no, no, this needs a hit. Or I think he gets told that he needs a hit. As much as we want to imagine an artist like Rivers, who's been so established, who has such a track record, who's so unique, does his own thing, does what he wants to do. You know, I think he's having A&Rs. He's having the label tell him, look, I don't hear a hit. We need a hit. But the difference is, like, I think with a lot of artists, they, they fight back against it. Well, Rivers is like, I guess you're right. And he, he goes out and tries to do it. I don't know. I think he's probably... I think he's probably fought back. I think he's like, what about this? What about this? Yeah. But, you know, he's also one of the more prolific songwriters. So writing a song is not as difficult as it is for some other people. Okay. So second track is Alu Gobi, named after an Indian dish. A a vegetarian Indian dish. Of course. And it's really interesting. This song is really interesting to me because it's essentially about growing older and falling into your routines oh yeah very much so but by sheer accident it became a pandemic song where we're all stuck where for the last year of our lives we haven't been able to change grow evolve in the ways that we should have that we you know you say that 
you say that and you, you're so you're right about that. But at the same time, that song just makes me also just like wish I could just go to a fucking arrow and like hang out, you know, them. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Like as much as I don't even like Santa Monica, but like it does make me think about times when I would go to like fucking rep screens at the arrow. And, like, <laughs> it does, but you even know. Though- the, the, everything the sameness makes it feel like that, but yeah, he it it, it has this kind of Schrodinger's cat where it is and it isn't about it I, accidentally. It's it's clearly about falling into a fucking rut. Yeah, that's what, that's what it's very much about. It's falling into a rut where you basically keep on doing the same things every day, even or not even every day, but just kind of falling into the same actions. Because I think it's very much even about like his relationship with his wife and probably what they do on a date weekend. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that's what even more so than just like everyday actions, but like how they probably like once you've been in a marriage for ten years, you kind of probably have a date night that you create, and but after a while, it becomes the same fucking thing. Yeah, you know, you probably go see a movie together, you go to the same restaurant, you kind of in like, and that's the interesting about it. Yeah. So uh, if you're interested, I think I found which restaurant it was. (laughs) It was. It's on Montana, right? It, it, so, the, uh, so it's a place called Pardeeps, and it's no longer there. Yeah. It closed around June, July 2018, from what I can tell. But I'm looking at the Yelp page right now, and the yeah. uh, the reviews are, the alu gobi was phenomenal. Sometimes it can be a little dry, but mine was perfectly sauced. Like Everybody seems to really... Uh, really enjoy the alu gobi there so that it, this is the place that i'm guessing it i got the alu and eggs too it's very flavorful very healthy you can actually feel the love that went into cooking the meal definitely would coming back so i think this is it because I, I i looked up because the state streets in santa monica this is getting real inside la baseball but you know this is our podcast we say what we want yeah yeah i know that like the the state streets i always just think of them as just having those giant Eight-story apartment buildings, you know, no parking. Okay, your buddy lives there, and you can't tell which one is which. All that. Uh, apparently, it's a Montana's a big stretch of streets, and they build themselves as like a low-key place where celebs and regular people shop alike. <laughs> so the thing about the thing that you gotta give Rivers credit for is he's always been a Santa Monica boy. Like basically, since he moved to LA, right? He's always been a Santa Monica boy. Uh, West Side for sure. Yeah, because he was originally staying at that Sawtell Japan Town. Well, I guess he had the, he was probably close to the Tower Records originally, right? The, the original Tower Records, because that's where his first job was, right? Right. So I can't imagine him trekking across town to get to that job. Oh my God! No, anytime you yeah. move to LA and your first job is nowhere near where you stay. And you're very upset about it. that's how that's how life in Los Angeles goes. Oh yeah, I have to go to Studio City for my job right now, which is like a ten minute travel. It's it's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that bad. It's not that bad. I will say the, the first night I heard the song, I uh, had to hit up some friends who are affiliated with the uh, Arrow and let them know that they got a name drop, and they were excited. Affiliated, like they're gang members. One of them just runs a podcast inside of it, kind of, and whatnot. But you know. Oh yeah, I guess we need to say give a shout out to George. Uh, George sent me a bunch of uh, lightning to eighth inch cables, and I already fucked one up. But yeah, nice. that, that's the reason why we can have Andrew Woods in a uh, lovely phone quality. Nice. Thank you. Hey, George. I just want to say, 
Yeah, I mean, like, I uh, I immediately texted my friend Clay uh-huh. about this song because he's affiliated with the uh, Arrow in some ways, and his uh, podcast partner is very much affiliated with the Arrow. So that, I know he uh, reached out to him and said no. And then they, I think the Arrow instantly uh, made a tweet about it the next day. Oh, that's fabulous. So, yeah. You, you, you're taking credit for the tweet. I'm not taking credit for anything. You are taking credit, credit for the tweet. I take credit for a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, Anyhow, Clay Keller. Yeah, shout out to Clay, Clay Keller. I, I, he follows me on Twitter. I follow him. It's great. So yeah, so the, like the, the tracks run into each other, and so the strings continue into "Grapes of Wrath," which. I would say we're doing like the bracket thing. This might be this might be my least favorite one. I like the, I like the actual melody of it, but the fucking actual lyrics are inane. I so it's I literally I actually saw a uh, friend of mine uh, just saying, "Whoa, just heard this Grapes of Wrath song by Weezer." Usually not into them, but man, this uh, this song's going into heavy rotation. Also, dig the shout out to Audible, and it, <laughs> and it's like okay, uh, I. I guess we're at a point where we build our brand identities and someone's really appreciative of this kind of odd shout out to audible.com that he has in it. You obviously listen to the Rick uh, Rubin podcast. Rick, this is the one that Rick Rubin was jizzing all over. It's been interesting to see which songs people have been reacting to. And this is why this is yeah. the real reason why we've taken so long to record that we're doing our research here because Zane Lowe was yeah. just blown away by bird with a broken wing, which is also another song of mine. Like, I think it's fine. I don't love it, but it's been, I like, I like, I will say I like bird. Uh, we'll get to it, but I really like bird with a broken wing. Cause I think it's his most personal. I think it's right. him actually being introspective about who he is and his career, where he is at this moment. Right. There are things I like about it. Yeah, I, think, thing, I, I think, like I think, it. I don't I, I love think, it. It's 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 not it's not bringing no, me to tears it, or anything like that. Is what I'm saying. It's not it's not the one I've replayed the most. It's not the one that like I just kind of like fucking will put on. But yeah. I, I I think it I think it works, and I, I get why people like it. This one though, the fact that Rick Rubin responded to this one is ridiculous to me. Come on, it's a song about like it's literally like you know what it feels like to me. It feels like like one of those late periods, like fucking Mark Kozlik, like not Red Hat. House Painter songs, but Sun Moon Kill song, where it's just about him going to like he just writes like he's almost in his diary song. Yeah, where it's like oh he just writes a song about where he goes to watch a Death Cab concert because well, like a Daniel Johnston song. Yeah, it's just like oh these are the songs that I don't well, I don't think Rivers is quite doing that because I actually don't think these are the songs he's listening to on Audible. Honestly, I hope they're not. I hope that he's already I, he was an English major at Harvard. I hope he fucking was listening to like Moby Dick and whatever the songs were. These like early. I, I hope he's gotten into some deeper, tri- deeper cuts, deeper cuts of books. I, I hope, I really, for God's sake, hope so. I hope he's listening to my favorite book, the Bible. <laughs> That's not English lit, but anyhow, um, I hope he's. I hope he had fucking listened to fucking nineteen. I, I hope he had read nineteen eighty four before he was fifty years old, considering that he was a like an English lit major at Harvard. Maybe it's just one of those that fell that's fell into the cracks. I don't know, but it seems like I one th- of those you have to like I reference. I, Look, I, he's not on Twitter think, like that no, anymore. I he doesn't have that, to talk about 1984 constantly. I think it's the thing though with Rivers, where sometimes he goes for the like relatable, like biggest, most relatable, or like the um, OC. LC, oh, just least the, common the, denominator. 
least common denominator. That's what I was trying to think about. Yeah, I think he goes for the least common denominator sometimes, so that makes sense. I get why Rick Rubin likes it, because I think he interprets, like, listening to the book and walking around and kind of spacing out as this personal moment of zen, which he seems, which yeah. he's always been really into. Yeah. When anybody tells me they're listening to, like, the classics, it, it never sits right with me. Like, the beginning of Lady Bird, where they're, like, crying to, I think it is Grapes of Wrath. It, it seems so false. It's like, no, you're reading, like, some, people were reading some, like, Dean Koontz book or, like, you know, whatever's, like, IQ8 Mirakami or whatever. I don't know. I don't know much about books anymore. <laughs> I, I get what you're saying. They're reading. What they're reading saying, whatever. But... They're reading kind of something more in the zeitgeist or something more pursuant to their interests. Who wants to read a fucking 500 page book and then you try to talk to it and it's like, well, I haven't read Brothers Karamazov or what the fuck ever. Jesus. <laughs> what? Whatever. <laughs> You know, oh, oh, I read, uh, I read uh, Nicholas Nickleby. Yeah, I read a deep, a deep cut Charles Dickens book. It's eight hundred pages long because the dude was paid by the word. Okay, who wants to talk about it? Uh, nobody, nobody wants to talk about it. Who wants to talk about? Oh, fuck, what books are popular now? Let me Google this. Do you want me to bail you out here? Do you want to keep what, on going? What, what's a popular going book? Up? I don't know. What's a popular book right now? Yeah. There are no popular books right now. Well, that's true. New York Times bestseller book. The Bible. It, you know, I think they don't count it because it's too popular. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, like people are always like, getting shot and you know the yeah the pocket bible is stopping the bullets <laughs> it's like I, I really enjoyed your your pronunciation of the brothers kazamata <laughs> right, bestsellers anyhow yeah J james patterson <laughs> The Russian, and then there's a Bridgerton book. Okay, so there's a Matthew McConaughey book. Like that's yeah, what people read. Yeah, Green Light. Yeah, just I, Green Light. I know. That, I know. That, I've not read that book. I only seen him promote that book. There's a Barack Obama you know book. That's that's what people yeah, are yeah. buying and they're carrying around with them, or they're posting on that book app. No, no one's and, read that Barack no, Obama. No, no, but they want they want people to think they have read the Barack Obama book. You know, a book I did read though. What Trump's book? Speaking about Matthew, no, no Trump's a, what, what Trump book are you talking about? Anyhow, uh, no, I read uh, speaking about Matthew McConaughey. I read that oral history of uh, Days of the Dude. Yeah, I need to. I need. I actually do want to take a look at. That. I can just give you my copy next time I see you. I can give you my physical copy if you want to read it. Here's what people are reading. They're they're reading. So you want to talk about race? So they can post on Twitter that they're reading it, and they they can they can shame everybody for. Not reading it. Actually, I, I read a, I read a great article about how how many of those copies were returned. <laughs> no, you don't return it. You keep it on your shelf so that you can like show people. They were no, no. It wasn't returned. It was how many people bought those books, and like especially at bookstores, it just never came and picked them up. 
<laughs> okay. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. they were on back order. At yeah. the time, they were on back order during the Black Lives Matter movement. And then, like, no one, when everything kind of cooled down a little bit, no one came and picked them up. See, there's also, here you go. There's a Rupee Car book, Homebody. And I, I know people are buying this so that they can understand the, the Twitter joke format. Anyway, the next track is Numbers. And this is continues. The last song leads into this one. This one starts bare bones and just kind of builds. I really like this one. This is Rivers just kind of being driven mad by how this we quantify be- things. And uh, This might secretly be my favorite song on the album. It's really great. I really enjoy it, and I really relate to it. And for some, you know, he's a guy who has had to live by the sword of the pitchfork number and now the needle drop number, needle drop. And also it's just like watching eight. like, you know, your first week sales of an album or like, you know, your oh, metrics God. and whatnot. That's also about like, I feel like the same kind of way that Bird with a Broken Wing is about getting older and just your age. You know what I'm saying? And just like also just kind of realizing other things like that. I think it's about a lot of different numbers. You will, yeah, of course. And we use numbers to detach it from anything. Like an SAT score mm-hmm. is not high enough. I really liked it, and I could, you know, I think we've all been there. Where we can relate to something where our ability is not necessarily scored well, but we know we can, or you know, some something like that. It's a pretty base thought, but it, it, it hits. It's kind of it works. Yeah, and it, you know, but like it's only you know. The fucking melody of the song fucking is amazing. Really is, and it's and it's, the way it builds, it builds so well. It builds really well, and like it, co- it goes out on his his hooks, and you know when it just leaves him, and it's just him and a piano, and it can be really haunting. The production on this, yeah. the music of this this one is just phenomenal. This this is uh, this is absolutely one of my favorite songs on on this album. Hundred percent, hundred of the best. I I really surprised and blown away by this one. I really am. Yeah. Well, not only that, but I think it goes into uh, Play My Piano. Yeah. Which I think is also, in the way it builds into Play My Piano, it's fantastic. Play My Piano is such a literal song. It's just this euphoric feeling you can feel in the song. It's, it's literally what it says, but it just works so well. Playing My Piano feels like this is his most Bob Fosse song. Like This, it feels like, this it, feels it actually, like a spotlight like, on a stage. And he's wailing, and then, like, you know, all this other stuff, the curtain rises, and there's glitter in the background, and whatever else. You know, and it's, it goes back it's down. Funny to you, him. you know, it's funny you would say that because the night I, this album dropped, I was watching all that jazz, and then I had to stop it to listen to this album. Oh, I'm sure it just felt all like one thing somewhat. <laughs> but, you know, not quite I all not, one. But, no, no, it did not feel like one album. I would also say it feels like it feels very Brian Wilson to me. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I connected with, and what I thought. Okay. Yeah, it just feels like such a big emotional showpiece for a musical to me. I have no idea of what the process, but I feel like Jake Sinclair really guided this one to got to get where it was, where it is. Yeah. Playing my piano seamlessly transitions into Mirror Image, which I also feel like this is a really musical-sounding one. This one just sounds like... The curtain closes after this one, and everyone goes, you know, takes a bathroom break, go, goes get another beer. Just kind of a little end, just takes you into a little break. Okay, human, we'll be right back after this. You know, an intermission. Yeah, an intermission. You, yeah. You're describing, you're describing an intermission. <laughs> you know, I what I I did not forget the word. I was, you know, I was just saying, like this. This feels like <laughs> the half point. 
intermission, but I also like that he kind of breaks from the usual imagery that we see from calling something mirror image, that she shows me who I am instead of saying that they're similar. The way I interpreted this song is very much about his marriage. Not so much a literal mirror image, but just like how you go through the day-to-day where you kind of like probably copy each other or just mirror each other through your day-to-day and how it's every day mirrors every other day. Well, no, I think it's more it's like, okay, like I see how I treat her. I see how her influences me. This shows me here I am. Like when she does this and I get upset, that shows me a lot about myself. When she does this and I'm very happy about it, that shows me a lot about who I am. But usually we just use the mirror as being identical or flipped. And this is just like, hey, this is who I am. I thought there was a really good use of imagery and turning what has been, you know, a stale trope into something a little more a little fresher a little more interesting yeah the next song is screen screen starts off unexpected to me because it's a riff on the peter gunn theme dun, 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 dun. that yeah it starts with the drums the same way and then a guitar coming in like a like a staccato so- sound i had to like stop it and look up like yeah it's it's totally the peter gunn theme i did not pick that up definitely gonna listen to this after we're done here because i did not yeah. pick that up at all i didn't think about that at all and dun, well, dun, 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 dun. Yeah, then the Peter yeah. Gunn theme, there's no better place to grab inspiration. This is a show that nobody remembers what the fuck it was, but everybody knows the uh, theme song. Because, uh, I mean, like the Blues Brothers, right? The Blues Brothers used the Peter Blues Gunn Brothers, theme. America's Funniest Home Videos back in the day. You know, just it's it's become a comedic trope of its own. Yeah. I gotta be honest, I really do not need to hear a musician tell me I'm looking at my phone too much anymore. Yeah, you hear it too much in real life. <laughs> you do too. I am I am actively trying to get better. I will say that. I feel like there were about two fucking Arcade Fire albums just about this fucking thing. <laughs> like we just look at our fucking phones too much. <laughs> it's the cheapest way to make a commentary on te- technology. It's like, oh, guess what? It's, we're doing it too it's much. Like, it's like saying kids in the 70s watch too much TV at this point. But, you know, it's a little different because it's like, oh, we're looking at the screens. But, yeah, guess what? I am helping my friend that I haven't talked to in five years who lives eight states away go through their emotional thing. We're reconnecting, like, you know. Well, that's the thing about it. A lot of times when I'm talk- on my phone, it's not like I'm just looking at something. I'm actually talking to someone. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I'm like, it's not always looking at Jar Jar pornography. Or I'm reading a fucking article. Like, I'm actually, like, reading. I don't get, that's the thing. It's like, most of my screens anymore are me just reading. It's, it's so funny that it's like, oh, we finally have a box that fits into our hand that contains the entirety of human knowledge, and we make fun of each other for looking at it. Exactly, right? Yeah, of course, these would be the uh, opinions of two extremely online people. So, yeah. Weezer bracket. (laughs) I do like that it has this kind of perspective to it that it's like technology has changed our life so much in the last 20 years, 21 years. It's become seamless. It's just the part. I ran an errand the other day, and I'd left my phone at the home. And it's like just going to like a store like not far from my house. But it's like yeah. you get there and you realize that you're like, oh, my God, what have I done? When it's just, you know, 25 years ago. So you're just doing, doing, the, doing, what do, just doing something that most humans did back in the day. For most of human existence, yeah. I used to do it, too. We used, we used to do it, too. <laughs> unthinkable. Absolutely unthinkable. I know, right? I also really want to point out that I really like the line about the old woman. Did she think she'd go out this way? The end of her life, which is would be so impossible to explain to her at any other point, 
You know, yeah. it's like, oh, you're looking up your family. Oh, it's not the idea you start at one point in, in history, but you live long enough that it's like this insane different like universe you're living in. I think that's true of modern life. I don't think if you were born in like 1300 and you lived to be an old man and died at, in 1328, that life was that much different. <laughs> you give it 28 years. <laughs> Back in the day. Yeah, yes. man. Yes, I get what you're saying, though. Yes. If you live 100 years. You've definitely experienced some fucking insane shit. But, but if you were born in the year 700 and you lived until 800, was life that different? You know. Oh, you man, they got this new invention, the, the you, catapult. You see, you see, you see like, re- revolutions, though, and you see actual, like, history happen. It's the same thing. I mean, but they didn't have, you know, newspapers weren't we're, as you're widespread. Just about, they didn't you're have just Twitter. talking about technological advancements. I, I'm yeah. talking about everyday life. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, we should move on because we're, we're, like, an hour into this already. Well, and it'll, it'll be edited down. Uh, there's Bird yeah. with a Broken Wind, which we've talked about. You know what song this really reminded me of? What? Lesbian Seagull. Lesbian Seagull? From the Beavis and Butthead movie? <laughs> Obviously a different level of quality to the song, but it did kind of seem like something like, you know, just someone trying to express themselves with, a, you know, some acoustic instruments. I don't know why I thought about it, but it's what I wrote down on my notes. <laughs> I thought why Beavis and Butthead do America in a, in a good 15, 20 It's a years. fucking masterpiece. It is, <laughs> it is a film that has no right to be as good as it is. I mean, that's kind of everything Beavis and Butthead related. It was a phenomenal show, but the movie is really great. And like now you see it and you just look at all the animation, all the hand-drawn stuff, and it is all just so insanely intricate. And, you know, I can't draw at all. I'm fucking terrible at it. And just drawing mm-hmm. like the backgrounds during their their trip sequence, like I just can't imagine how long that would take, how many people you needed. The amount of effort that went into that movie is so much that even at the time, like it was unfathomable to think. Uh, but uh, Bird with a Broken Wing, <laughs> I think we've already said it's about him feeling irrelevant. Yeah, it's a good song. It's a good song. I don't think, I, just... love it. I, don't think I love it as, so, as much as some other people. We're just two relevant dudes. That's what it comes down to. That's the problem. Is I'm I'm in the <laughs> I'm in my fucking prime. Obviously, I'm just fucking killing it right now. Everybody knows what we're up to. Like, everyone is just so interested. They've been clamoring for this. You know, like... We're usually one or two on on the podcast list somewhere in there. I'm like the fucking weekend. I just fucking host... I just fucking, like, killed the fucking uh, Super Bowl last night. Oh, you were the streaker, right? I was not the streaker. I was the weekend. Oh, oh, it's your dual identity. Yeah. Then can you please record one of your first three albums, something like that again? Literally, it's that first mixtape. It's a, it's House of Balloons. That's like that, that's really. It. I was a real big fan of Thursday. Yeah, so Dead Roses. I think this, for whatever reason, it just struck me at the time. This is a very Pinkerton feeling song, and I know all that entails, and you know, it's not something you can really get away with saying, but th- that's. Co- that's kind of, it this has felt to me like the most Pinkerton of anything he's written in a while. That's interesting. I don't know if I'd pick that up. I it's just whatever hit me at the time. I don't know. I'll be honest with you, I think the second half of this album does not land as strongly for me as the first half. I would agree on that. Here's the thing where I'm fearing where I'm coming into a lot of these second half of these songs where it's a, I don't think I have as much to say. It's kind of like Ghostbusters. 
back of this album does not have a even a stave off marshall man marshmallow man yeah I, I also like i think these are where some of the slower songs go you know more heartfelt yeah. songs and they're not as fun no i think they're nice i just the, they just don't get me excited as much no Actually, I'm just going to kind of blend this all in together because I do not have anything to say about every single one of these songs. So I think we should just kind of like talk about this as a whole. Well, here we go. It's like everything happens for a reason. It's like a lo-fi. There's this little bridge song that's very pleasant. Yeah. Here comes the rain. I thought it, I was worried that it was going to be a cover. I got to be honest, but uh, <laughs> it's not. Oh, here comes the sun, but with rain. Here comes the rain again. again. Coming oh. forth and down like a memory. That song. <laughs> okay. Talk to me like lovers. Oh, yeah, do. yeah. I know that song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mix, yeah. Uh, it's lively and upbeat. It's a little seamlessly flow. This one sounds like the victory song from the musical. You know, it's like, yeah. okay, I've done it. And we're not done yet. We need the little character button at the end but he i've won i've sunk the hms pinafore or whatever that song is about um i've done it you know and here you go here is here it is reading about it it's like it's about internet comments here comes the range about the internet comments yeah it's about some friend of his uh, who wrote something and then everybody just kind of likes they, they just kept coming down at him and so he's you know I mean, he's doing his thing i mean th where he mixes sad and happy and this is just a little different application Therein. Rivers Cuomo, I hope he knows. He's got some negative internet comments in his lifetime. That's why I hope he never logs on. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, what? They say I peaked at my second album. What's going on here? <laughs> what? They didn't like the I mean, Red Album. That's one of my personal favorites. You're telling me you didn't love Ratitude? What's going on? These have to be jokes. <laughs> I also appreciate in this song that he he basically uh, mentions the secret, putting your thoughts out there that good things will happen and law of attraction. The that. secret, like 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 the secret, as featured on Oprah. Yeah, well, uh, the secret, which is also a very big player in uh, Juggalo culture. Is it? Oh my God! Yeah, they've made a couple of videos about using the secret. Well, that's uh that's May, so look i have nothing to base this on at all but in my own head canon rivers cuomo is down with the clown till he's dead in the motherfucking ground i tell you what he is oh he's so, uh, he he he's picked up the secret from violent J. like that is that is that's where he got it from he's like oh shit these guys are talking some real truth so let me ask you a question yeah how are your days going with the uh, ICP? How, how, how's your relationship with ICP been recently? I, I mean, I've never met Insane Crown Posse as much as I would like to. I guess I met not so much the, uh, the actual band, but the Juggalos. I know we're you good. were working on a docu. I know you were working on a documentary about the Juggalos at one point. Yes, and if something ever happens with that case, I'll continue to work on it. <laughs> they just they just stopped they stopped pursuing their legal case a judge threw throughout their case said that they were right that juggalo should not be classified as a gang but then said this is not something you can legally challenge in court to which their the juggalo lawyer says where do i challenge it and the judge goes i don't know <laughs> And it so, sounds like the American legal system. So they have reached this little weird little impasse at the, with the American legal system to where they where they are being wrong, 
the courts admit they're being wronged, but can't do anything about it. Well, Look, maybe like, maybe Biden will step in, but uh, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not counting on it. Let me tell you. Sounds about right. Yeah. So the final uh, track to this song to this record is uh, La Brea Tarpits. Yes, it is. And it's, it's funny to see him mention like, oh, there's this place called the La Brea Tarpits. You know, he mentions it like it's not a popular thing when I just remember it being mentioned all the time on Looney Tunes. I mean, like so, as someone not from LA originally, uh, it's definitely one of the more historic sites I knew before I came here. I knew what it was and, you know, of the things and that I visited you, when you, I went here, it did it, not disappoint. It's really good. It did not it's, it's, I don't know, man. I like it a lot. I mean, like, I used to work on the Miracle Mile, so it was just kind of, it came just kind of background to me. Right, but like when you actually went to the museum, you saw the Wall of Skulls, it's really good. It's a really good museum. Yeah. You know what I always think about when I think about the La Brea Tower Pits? I think about Last Action Hero. Yeah. When they're trying to rescue Benny the Fart or whatever it is, they, they put a fucking bomb in him and they, and they fall into the actual, like, Tarpits, yeah, and the, like the tarpits cause it from exploding. Labrea tarpits have been in a million movies, so the idea that it's something obscure I, is beyond me. The other thing I think about is uh, volcano. I think I think the volcano. volcano is, yeah, that's, they're all I think the a volcano same. is where the first sign that there's going to be a volcano eruption in L.A. What a classic! You know that's the best part in volcano. Who? John Carroll Lynch. I don't remember him. In- I don't remember his part. John Carroll Lynch is the guy on the subway who jumps off oh, and like yeah, falls yeah, yeah, into yeah, lava. Yeah. He's like, no! That, okay. it's, like, it's like the... That's an excellent If you remember word. a moment from Volcano, that's fucking it. John Carroll Lynch's death. That is that is an excellent on-screen death. That is that is top tier. Yeah, it's like one of the best moments of the 90s. <laughs> yeah. I'll agree. <laughs> John Carroll Lynch has had one of the weirdest, best careers in the sense that he's never been huge, but, like, there are multiple moments I think about him in his career. Clearly. Because, like, you have that moment. You have him as, like, Drew Carey's uh, cross-dressing brother <laughs> right. in the Drew Carey show. Right. I mean, Where he failed um, to acknowledge 9-11. Yeah. <laughs> Drew Carey show never acknowledges, is all I'm saying. <laughs> I know. Uh, he plays, uh, what's his name in Zodiac? Uh, uh, I can't think. What's the name of the actual guy that I think is the Zodiac killer? Oh, Lee Allen or whatever. Or... Oh. Lee, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's really good in that. That's like the that's maybe my favorite scene in Zodiac, and he's wonderful in it. And then he uh, directed the film Lucky, produced by our friends. Yeah, Harry Dean Stanton's last movie. Yeah, that's a good career. That's a really good career. Yeah, it's interesting. It has hills and valleys. I, I would, I would love a career like that. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not yeah. like. It's like the Baskin Robbins of careers. There's like 32 different flavors. That's, that's a stretch for a metaphor. Anyhow, um, <laughs> La Brea Tar Pits is about feeling, you know, stuck and kind of becoming irrelevant, like things changing around you, you not changing. In terms of its placement, it kind of seems of the musical plot line kind of be out of place. It's kind of the one song that doesn't really flow in like a normal musical narrative. But the outro of the song is really fantastic and a great way to end the album. The whole album has a great flow to it. It yeah, feels like phenomenal. incredibly well sequenced. It, it feels like the first Weezer album, and I don't know since when that feels like it has a sequencing. Yeah. And at times it feels like a giant medley. It feels like the back half of like 
Abbey Road. It, it feels like an overture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's funny you should mention Abbey Road because whenever somebody brings in strings or to pop music, to rock music, they always mention Eleanor Rigby. It is just the default go-to song. This is the song where he pulls from a George Harrison solo project. Which, which one? All Things Works Path? That's the way it goes. Okay. It's it's a song Rivers quote uh, it says it and he copies the melody of this. I know this because my mom actually really liked the uh, Beatles solo projects and would play it all the time. So um, is that is on All Things Works Path? I don't know which album it is on. I'm just like, wait, there's a George Harrison song that sounds like this. And it's what that's song, the way what's the name of the song? That's the way it goes. It sounds like a Jimmy Buffett record. It's the weird. It's it's one of the weirder solo projects that the the Beatles did. But yeah, the outro of it. You know, this one I don't think it's played so well. But the outro, it just lands a plane. And so yeah, uh, yeah. There's not much I can really complain about this album as a whole. I'm sorry. I'm looking this up right now. I do not know. It's from like a 1982 hit. Yeah, album, it's Gontropo. It's yeah. Wow, it's, this is what this. Is, it is. It's. I. I, 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 I I know like a fair I know a, a fair share about about like a Beatles solo albums and whatnot, but this is one I have no clue. This about is not a all. popular one. It is not a popular no. one. It's not an influential one. It's like I only know about this accidentally. Basically, it's just like I've like I've You're, heard. He goes, "That's the way it goes," and the way he says, he's like, "Yeah, I've heard like, this." It took me a little well, bit to find. I think your parents were probably like mine a little bit, where they would probably buy like late period like. So, so albums from artists they liked at one time. So you hear like 100%. weird things that no one was like ever like listening to. Yeah, oh my exactly. god! I I know all about like the Michael Nesmith solo albums. <laughs> like you know, it's a big you know, it's a big album in uh, my parents and my dad's car. Like at a certain time in my life was a uh, Annie Lennox's Medusa. Oh my god! He loved Annie Lennox's Medusa, which is like obviously. Post Eurythmics like Annie Lennox, and it's like mm-hmm. who else is like listening to this? Yeah, wow, that's 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 a, yeah. And so, like, no, there are a couple songs that I know that album so well. I was about like, to say, no more I love you and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. It, to you, it's like, oh, this is just a song that everybody listened to, and then you reference it, and no one knows what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, in fact, there was a point where my dad realized he had bought multiple copies because he didn't think he owned it. Like he was like. <laughs> <laughs> the switch, the switch. I think it was a switch over from tape to like CD when yeah. he had, when he got a like CD player in his car. He had bought like multiple copies of Medusa. Wow. Yeah. Well, you gotta have one at home, one in the car. Gotta take exactly. it exactly. <laughs> so, so listening to this album, I really enjoyed it. And then I listened to so Spotify just took me onto a uh, blue album track. I can't remember which one off top. But you know what really struck me? What? In the 26 years, 27 years, whatever you want to call it, River's voice hasn't changed. No, it's not changed at all. That's and it's thing. really it's, it's really bizarre. If you look at any artist that's been recording forever, they oh, you, can, you can always tell. They never sound the same. It's like, what the fuck happened to them, you know? Do you know what's a weird thing? This isn't a music thing, but like I, I listen to a lot of Howard Stern. Yeah. And you, if you if you go back and listen to certain periods of Howard Stern, you can kind of tell the period exactly by his voice. Oh God, I can imagine. It's a weird thing, like like that early '90s period is so different from like even that 2000s period with like Artie and what you can tell from his like uh, voice. I guess uh, Rivers just didn't smoke enough menthols to change it. I don't know. 
and that's obviously a thing. I think a lot of those sixties artists probably smoked so much shit yeah. that their voices totally altered. Um Yeah, so don't do drugs, everybody. Don't smoke. <laughs> So that's the new one. You know, if you like it when we're negative on stuff, I'm sorry this episode wasn't very good for you. <laughs> no, it, it was negative. It's a pretty uh, positive well, Right, yeah. So if they like negative, it wasn't good. So, But if you like it when we're actually nice about things, you know, maybe, uh, maybe this was enjoyable just, just a, you know. So let's wrap, let's wrap this up. Yeah, it's a good album. It's a, it's a, good it's album. a really good album. You know what sucks is we'll probably have to come back here in a month or two and do a, another episode about Van Weezer, which probably won't be a good album. Let me be honest here. That, 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 that just does not look like it's going to be as good as this one, at least. Well, you know what? Maybe he's paying attention to us. He's seeing what worked and what didn't. Maybe he'll change things. Maybe he won't. I don't he know. Has, look, he, has, he, no, he look. has no clue who we are. Well, no, I meant to people in general, not us. You know, <laughs> I look. think the gospel, I think. Yeah, I think Van Weezer's probably mostly done too. By the way, probably, probably it's probably completely done. But you know, yeah. Look, if any, if nothing else, this showed us that Rivers at whatever age I don't want to, I don't want to look it up, and you know, because that would make me feel bad. Uh, whatever age he is, however deep he is, he can still create a great album. Okay, that is not exactly what I didn't want to happen. Fifty-one. He's Fifty-one. <laughs> All right. Well. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, this has been another edition yeah. of Weezer Bracket. Um, we'll be back soon. We'll be, we'll be back more, sooner than we think, because I think that we, that Van Weezer album is coming soon. Yeah. They say May. Oh, well, it'll probably hold. All right. You guys have a good one. All right. Bye. We love you. Love you. We'll be back. Yeah. Bye. Bye. All the Weezer songs, we are claiming fair use uh, for purposes of discussion, and you should look back because there's a lot of discussion about these, so there you go. But the intro music is by Alvoro Kid, and we downloaded it from hooksounds.com, Creative Commons with attribution, so there you go. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and see you next week.